folks. Welcome back to another week of Patriot to the Core podcast. This is episode number 34, and I am Thad Forrester. Thank you for joining us again this week. Before we get to our guest, I want you to know about the Mark Forrester Foundation's charity golf tournament coming up on August the 18th at the Robert Trent Jones Golf Trail in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. And this is the second year they've had it. Uh, it's a great event. Last year's was, was very successful, and I think this year's will even have a, a better turnout. So if you're interested in playing or sponsoring a team or being an event sponsor, please just go to markaforcher.com and you can find out more about it. But that's August 18th in uh, Muscle Shoals, Alabama. So really, really good event. Uh, now to our guest, Mr. Jack Fanning. Um, Jack is a quadriplegic and uh, he, he was injured in 2010 in a training accident. He is an Air Force combat controller. He's really at the, at the just the top of his game, you know, physically um, and in, in, in special operations. And he had a, a training act, nighttime training accident when he jumped out of a plane. Uh, he kind of, he had an issue with his night vision goggles, and and so he thought everything was okay. Actually, he was improvising well, but he ended up hitting the ground too hard and immediately paralyzed. So we talk about his recovery quite a bit, and uh, some good people that have and good organizations that have helped him along the way, and also all the good stuff that he's doing now. He and some friends started an organization called Brothers Keepers where they help take care of our injured military and first responders and they go on some retreats and um, they also take care of the Gold Star families. And I I have been a recipient of one of the Brothers Keepers retreats. So this is a really good uh, interview that I have with Jack. Uh, He is very positive and he talks about, he just really just wants to serve and help others and motivate others because uh, he is very active now even though he, he, he says he gets his butt kicked every week in therapy uh, he still is active with um, you know skydiving um, scuba diving uh, shooting guns just hunting he's skied he's done all kinds of things and so he will continue to do that and he you know he's determined to walk and so there's a He's already been able to see some progress with some movement in his one of his biceps and then his shoulders. So anyway, I mean, there's just nothing but good can uh, is ahead of him, man. So you'll I think you'll really enjoy the conversation that we have. Well, Mr. Jack Fanning, welcome to Patriot to the Core. I appreciate you being with me finally after it's taken us a while to get together. But uh, how you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Uh, uh, how you doing? I'm doing good. I have, um, you know, I first met you several years ago, and I've only known you, you know, since you had your injury. I, I didn't know you beforehand like my brother did and like so many people in the special ops community knew you, you know, for so long. But will you just tell us about your injury and, and how what you were doing and, and um, you know, what happened? Yes, sir. Um, now, I might have met you at Mark's graduation because I was his instructor. Yeah, I wasn't the there. Time. I was not there oh, for you, that. You did not come there. Okay. So then that was a few years ago or, I don't know, three or four years ago when we had that that retreat out at the ranch. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, basically, I, um, I was an instructor for three and a half years out at Bragg where I met your brother, I was his instructor. And then um, right after those three and a half years, I went and tried out for one of the tier one units up there, the 24th STS. And uh, that process, it takes quite a long time. You have to get accepted and go in front of a board and, you had to do like a nine month, it's an eight or nine month um, course, you know, called Green Team. That, and if you complete that course, then you get accepted into the unit and you go on to the teams. And uh, it, it's pretty neat because even as an experienced combat controller from you know, years of experience and deploying, deploying multiple times. I felt like I learned a quite a bit when I went up to that unit and, uh, it opened my eyes to a lot of things, but long story short, I, towards the end of that course, 
Um, we were wrapping things up. This was going to be one of our last mission sets uh, for training for the cadre. And so it was a two-month mission. And the idea was we're going to – we loaded onto a C-17 at Bragg there, and then uh, we were going to jump into White Sands, New Mexico, set up uh, and do a military free fall, a hey-ho, which is high altitude, high opening, uh, in the middle of the night, of course, because uh, we do most things at nighttime so we can gain the advantage. But uh, And we we're going to set up a uh, desert landing strip, then land all the aircraft, and uh, we had vehicles and stuff on those uh, transport aircraft. And then we started our two-week mission set from there up in uh, the mountains of White Sands, New Mexico. So that jump was kind of, uh, it's kind of a sketchy jump because you, you're at a high altitude and you're offset of the target area by, you know, anywhere from 10 to 20 miles. And you do that so that just for that extra stealth where they don't even know a, a plane is overhead. And so the whole team jumps out and we, you immediately pull your chute at a very high altitude, at, you know, 15 to 20,000 feet usually. And then you fly your canopies as a team uh, using GPS and compass and uh, all sorts of techniques. And I mean, it's pretty cool, but it is, it's one of the more dangerous things we do. And during that process, right after we exited the aircraft, I, uh, upon my, you know, chute opening, everything was fine that way. But we did this jump under night vision goggles. So my goggles had come un unlodged off my helmet and I had it dummy corded of course uh but i could not see my teammates uh you know because there was no loom that night and it was very dark and so but my night vision was hanging off my helmet so what i would do i, I didn't really panic i was cool about it I had hundreds of jumps before uh so i would just let go of my steering toggles and grab the night vision goggles and find that the stack is what we call it uh basically my teammates and i would see where they were and because we're in kind of a formation and i just kind of stayed clear of them and then i'd let go of my goggles and grab the steering toggles and steer you know left or right whichever way i needed to go and usually you're in this you're in your harness and under canopy for almost an hour, you know, getting to your uh, target area that you want to land as a team. And so throughout the course of that, that hour, um, I just kept the team in sight. I probably did that 50 times or so, grabbing my night vision goggles, putting them up to my eyes, finding the team, letting them go, and then grabbing the steering toggles and I, you know, just remain clear of them because I didn't want to make contact with anybody else. Jack, at uh, this time, we all did y'all have yeah. communication with each other while you were in there? Yeah, we're yeah we're constantly communicating on comms. Okay. Definitely, yes. And uh, you know, I was I think number six in the in the stack, and everybody has their role, and there's a team leader, you know, and a comp a uh, um compass man that's guiding the team uh, but so yeah we were on comms everything was cool and uh, you know I, I let them know that you know I didn't have my night vision but that I was still good to go but so what happened was uh, at about 200 feet you know you want to start looking to lower your rucksack and you know it's tethered to like a piece of nylon that's about eight feet long. And then when you hear that rucksack hit the ground, you know that you need to flare your brakes and that you still typically bust ass. But uh, when you flare that, you know, you hit kind of hard, but 
everything's cool. Well, not being able to see, I thought I was still, you know, 200, 100 feet up. So when I went to lower my rucksack, I was actually just a few feet off the ground, and I smacked the ground going full speed. I had not utilized my brakes at all. So the force of me hitting the ground going about 35 knots and my rucksack sack still being in front of my legs, um, it, I flipped over, you know, I basically hit my feet, then my knees, and the rucksack kind of rolled me over, and then I hit right on top of my helmet, and that pushed that my head into my body, and uh, basically my C3 overlapped over the top of the C4 in the neck, and then it, it had lodged into place, so I was immediately paralyzed, so... Um, and I, I knew it, you know, as soon as I hit, I knew that something was wrong. And I went to grab for the, you know, the button to click to tell the team leader I was on the ground, but I could not move anything. So then I realized I was paralyzed and uh, in uh, big trouble because I couldn't check in because usually you hit the ground, you check in with the team leader, and then you... Uh, start the mission but so I could hear everybody talking but I could not respond and since I you know we went down the line uh, from jumper one to you know the last jumper and I didn't respond so they knew you know something was up something was up with fanning and I could hear them you know on the radio trying to look for me and stuff and call for me and it was extremely when you have an injury like that it's it immediately takes away your your body's capability to to breathe normally and in the process my uh of hitting so hard my right lung had collapsed and the chin strap on my helmet was uh choking me so um i laid there that uh, an interesting thing that happened though when I hit my head on impact like everything blew off of my helmet we got you know your night vision and we have an iron strobe on the helmet and numerous other things but that iron strobe is only utilized in emergency situations uh, typically and it actually when it blew it off my helmet it activated that strobe so it turned it on to the on position, which, uh, you know, is totally a, a God thing is what I, what I say. And I laid there just trying to breathe. I was just, just real shallow, rapid breathing, trying to stay alive. And, um, you know, I, I knew I was dying. It was, it was evident to me very quickly that I was, if somebody didn't find me fast, I, I was going to pass. And so, you know, I immediately thought of my mother who had passed just a few years prior to this. And um, so I, and I thought of, you know, my wife and my son. And I was, you know, like, okay, I'm about to go. And, uh, but then my mind, in my mind, I just, it clicked like, okay, you cannot let yourself pass out. You know, if I go to sleep now and pass out, I, I knew I wouldn't wake up. And I wanted to live and be there for my, my kid, you know. And so I just made myself breathe. I don't know how I did it. Uh, and about 15 minutes later, um, as I'm just fighting for my life and staying alive, you know, for my family, I had my little talk with, with God and I asked him cause I knew my best friend, Jason, he was right behind me, you know, uh, when we exited the aircraft. So I asked God, would you please let Jason, uh, 
find me, you know, and and save me. And probably about five minutes later, Jason, he was, you know, they were all searching for me. He saw that IR strobe in the distance, and he ran over to it, and it was me. And so Jason found me. And so that's the other God thing that uh, helped, you know, that happened. So uh, it was pretty amazing that they were able to find me. And then Jason immediately called for some of the PJs to come over. And and uh, they started working on, on me and cutting everything off me and called for the Medivac. And uh, hey Jack, by the way, so while they're working on you, yep. are they all having to wear their night vision goggles just so they can see, I guess? Or do they have lights yeah, now or what? I don't know, man. It, I can't really remember that. I just um, remember a few of them just over top of me yelling at me, stay alive, keep breathing. You know, help is on the way. And and they were just, they, you know, they they went white light at that moment, I'm sure. Uh, you know, because this was just a practice mission. Uh, but there wasn't a drop zone crew or anything down, down there. So this, these were just, uh, the guys that were on the jump with me. And, um, so the helicopter got there and, you know, I was, they had strapped me to a Miller board and prepped me for the helicopter ride. And, uh, then got on the helo and then, uh, one of the guys uh, had gotten on there with me and, and uh, I guess it was about a 45 minute flight uh, back to the, uh, we went to El Paso, the military hospital there. And they had to put a chest tube in me because I almost passed away on the helo. And, uh, and when I got there, it just so happened that one of the neuro docs, the neurosurgeons, was on call and he was up there. So when I came in, it was just perfect timing that he was there. So they did all the right things. They got me on ice and uh, pumped some steroids in, into that area. And, and uh, then they had to put me into traction to pop that C3 back over where it was supposed to be miraculously i did not break one bone in my body Whoa. which was crazy yeah yeah hit, hitting that hard and the neurosurgeon was amazed that i was even alive you know they couldn't believe it so they performed surgery on me right away and, and um you know luckily i was awake for all of that and then you know I'll be, the last thing I remember is is getting off the helo and going into the hospital and then I, I just it went black from there were you unconscious uh, for several days or you know how long were you out of it or just a matter of you know hours or do you know Probably the rest of that night. I think I woke up maybe the next morning. Yeah, after surgery. And it was pretty scary because, you know, I woke up and there were tubes sticking out of everywhere, you know. And all, a lot of stuff crammed down my throat. And I, I couldn't talk, couldn't do anything, couldn't move. You know, I could just open my eyes and I could see. But I, they had me pumped full of drugs so it was uh very weird when i when i awoke i was disoriented wasn't sure what had happened uh, i remember even at one point i thought that maybe i had been captured i don't know my mind maybe went back to the war <laughs> and I, I thought they were torturing me you know oh. and finally yeah because I was so drugged up, I, I had no idea what was going on. And then finally I kind of came around and came to, you know, realize that, you know, I had had a spinal cord injury and I was paralyzed. So 
at that moment, I, you know, had the fight was on just to come out of there and do whatever I needed to do. So um, what were your chances of living once you made it through that night? Was it still, was it still very risky or did they know <laughs> at that point you'd be, you'd live? Yeah, I, w- I was, uh, they never gave me like uh, a percentage, but the like I said, the surgeon was very, very surprised that I made it through the night. Or they would have thought that I would have passed out out there, you know, right after it had happened. Um, so they they weren't sure how I was able to breathe with the collapsed lung and and having a spinal cord injury, you know, all at the same time. Uh, a lot of people with, with a high injury like that will will pass away, but uh, you know it was just the tenacity of all the training and years of combat and stuff. I think that uh, enabled me to just suck it up and do what I needed to do and breathe. Uh, plus, I think you know God had a plan for me. I didn't know this at the time, you know, I, I realize it now, uh, the longer I'm in the chair, but the, no, it, they never gave me odds, but they were very surprised that I, I lived. So, okay. you know, there's probably an 80% chance that I should have died that night. Uh, and then after the surgery, you know, it's just a matter of after that, you're, you're good to go. Um, I'm Jack, I'm wondering right. when, when you were laying out there and you you know you were having trouble breathing and you said there was that moment where you maybe felt you're about to die and you thought about your family and uh, was right. was the feeling was it like basically you needed to go to sleep was that kind of what it was or can you describe yeah I it? could yeah I could have given up real easily and just passed out um, I it was like. Uh, you know, I could not grab enough oxygen, you know what I mean? So I was breathing, like, <laughs> very rapid just to try to get something in there. And so I was going, you know, hy- hypoxia basically is what it felt like. Like when you when we do training in that uh, altitude chamber and they take the oxygen away and you have to demask and then they you kind of find out what your limits are and before you pass out, you got to put your mask back on. We do that kind of drink all the time. Uh, it kind of felt like that. So I, I could feel myself going. I just had to fight and fight and fight to keep breathing. Cause I knew if I would have passed out that it was over. Yeah. So but it was scary. It was very scary. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's it is you know so hard for somebody like me to to comprehend and for most of us to comprehend. You got some really cool engineering going on with how you can, you know, talk on the phone and move your your wheelchair and how you can type on your iPad. Will you describe to us you know, what what your life is like now? Oh well, it's changed so much from that first year, where you you know you go from being a special operator being able to do just about anything and do all these uh, wild and adventurous things on a daily basis to uh, you can't move at all. Uh, that that uh, that could break a man very easily. So I just progressed. At, like in the hospital, I spent months and months, you know, they, they'd have to teach you how to live as a quadriplegic. Nobody, nobody knows how to live like that. You know, you never even think that's going to be a, a situation you'll be in. So over the next few months, uh, in the hospital, um, this one guy, uh, kept coming into my room and he was a C4 quadriplegic, just like I was. And he had all this stuff on his chair. Well, I'm laying in bed, you know, not able to move and people having to shower me and do everything for me. You know, I couldn't, I had to learn how to talk and eat and, uh, do all of that. Well, this guy just kept, uh, coming back and 
telling me, hey, you're going to make it through this, and one day you're going to be like me. Because he was using this long mouth stick to type on his phone, and and it had this tray in front of him that he had rigged up. And to me, it, I, it was, wasn't thinkable. Like I was like, this guy's crazy. I don't know how he's doing this. But, uh, you know, when I got out of the hospital finally, I started doing the same thing. I started tricking out my chair. And, um, you know, I'm still a C4 quadriplegic. And I can't. Now, at first, I couldn't move from the neck down. And now I've got a lot of shoulder movement because I, I'm still doing therapy on a regular basis and working hard. And I can flex my left bicep. So all that's new. But I still can't move my arms. So they're just laying in arm trays uh but what i can use is my mouth and so i utilize my mouth so we had a tray cut size and then uh fastened it to my arm and it sticks right out in front of me and i have this long stylus that i use and it's you know i don't know about 12 to 14 inches long and so I have my iPad and my phone on that tray, uh, Velcroed on there, and I use that mouse stick to control my phone and iPad. So, and then the technology with the chairs nowadays is I do everything uh, on a sip and puff chair. So I have this other thing that comes around to my mouth, and when I blow into it or suck into it, uh, it gives the chair different commands on what to do. And then you just kind of memorize it. And it's like driving a car after you do it for a while, you know, you do it subconsciously. Um, and so, and then I rig like water on it and different things. So over the years, I've just evolved and, uh, kind of, you know, thought things out. What can I do here? And you just got to be creative with it. And, uh, so, yeah, I sit in my chair every day. I, I have wonderful caregivers that come over and get me ready every morning. It's a very long process. It, you know, it takes hours because uh, i got to go to the bathroom and shower, and I need help to do all that. And so I have a little routine. Uh, I do all the things necessary to get up and into my chair and brush my teeth and do my hair and you know on and on and on just everything you would normally do but i have to have somebody do it for me and then I, once i get all set up in the chair just how i want then the rest of the day i'm pretty much uh doing most tasks uh by myself um you know as far as being on phone calls uh, or on the internet, on email, um, work at my television. I can work my house now. I've got a smart home through uh, Vivint uh, security systems. They set me up so I can control certain things in my home. And so I live pretty good. I mean, and then I, you know, for me, part of my w work is... You know, my job is to continue doing therapy and try to get something back. I'm not just going to be satisfied with staying in a chair. You know, I want to walk. So I've worked my ass off three days a week at therapy. Uh, and they kick my butt about two-hour sessions. <laughs> and um, so I'm still after it. And then uh, after a few years of you know, being in a chair and not really having, you know, I was just fighting for my life and figuring out uh, how to live. Well, me and my friends started getting together again because I had moved back home to Texas. And uh, that's when we had started this nonprofit. Uh, and uh, we came up with the name Brothers Keepers. And that kind of has driven me now. So 
So that that's also my job is to work on that nonprofit and try to help other veterans and first responders and their family members, you know, you know, pay it forward and try to help them out any way we can. And um, that gives me, you know, the purpose in life uh, and keeps me going, really. Yeah, how did Brother Keep? What do y'all do in Brothers Keepers? Like, what are some specific things you've done? And because uh, I've taken part in, in an event before. And then I, I heard a story that I think it seems like the way you kind of got started is y'all were at a restaurant or y'all been meeting there and people started asking you questions and then they started giving you money and you're like, okay, well, and then you kind of came up with a name. Did it kind of yeah, well, come together real fast? Well, when we were, when I was younger, <clears throat> we had a group of guys that right out of high school, we would always get together and have a guy's night out and we'd dress up and go to a fancy restaurant and we would all uh, chip in a little bit of money and for whatever charity we decided. And like one one time, I think we we had actually even bought a wheelchair for a lady. And so we would kind of do that every couple of months. And then I went off into the military. And then 13 years later, you know, I got injured in 2010. And uh, so I came back to Texas. Uh, and me and some of the same guys started getting back together and we, uh, would chip in and give money, uh, to the local food banks or to wounded warrior project or, you know, what a veteran organization that gives back. And like you said, the one time we were at a restaurant and, uh, some ladies had come over and said, hey, what are y'all all about? And we're just like, well, we're just getting together. You know, my friend Jack uh, was injured in the service, and and then we're raising a little money, and we give it to charity. And then they, I think they wrote us a check for 100 bucks or something. And then other people started coming over and writing us checks. And I think we made like 1300 or something that night, which was crazy to us. It was like, wow, you know, that's a lot of money. And so it, it kind of sparked an idea, hey, uh, maybe we can actually make something of this and start an organization, a nonprofit. And so we thought about it and uh, came up with the name Brothers Keepers, and uh, which we thought was a great name, which it is. And so uh, we just gave it a shot. We... Uh, didn't know what we were doing. I mean, we're still learning to this day. Uh, and what we do is we take uh, injured veterans, doesn't matter if it was combat-related or not, just any, any veteran that uh, we think could use a retreat. Uh, and uh, now we've been including first responders and then the big part with us is family. So we want the family to be involved in uh, whatever activity we do. So these retreats are pretty cool because uh, we started down at the ranch that you're familiar with, Granite Ranch. Uh, it's this huge ranch that has tons of things to do, lots of animals. And, um, you know, you can shoot guns out there. Uh, we can hunt, uh, swim in the pool for the kiddos. They got a pool there. There's a big like game room and then a big fire pit that we gather around and we have live music and kayaking and all. And now we're doing like, uh, free fall tandem jumps out of a helicopter while we're down there. Uh, so we're doing fun activities that maybe injured guys and their families wouldn't think they'd be able to do. So adventurous, you know, sporting activities and stuff like that. And uh, I try to do everything right along with everybody else uh, because I'm a high quad, so you wouldn't think I'd be able to do anything, any crazy things like that. But uh, so I try to do all that kind of stuff to inspire 
the other guys that are maybe sitting around their houses and they're depressed and going through hard times and they don't want to get out and do things. Well, you know, I'm right there, not able to move my arms or legs and I'm able to jump out of an airplane, you know, or, uh, you know, ski or whatever we do. And that draws inspiration and then they, they're able to do it with their family and that that's the beauty of it. Their kids get to do these fun activities with it, with their dad, you know? Mm-hmm. And then we also, also the gold star families, we include them and, uh, you know, cause they're always hurting very bad when, when you lose uh, your son or daughter, you know, in combat, it, it can be extremely tough and it is very tough on the family. So we, include everybody and uh, bring them out there and it's very you know i found that it's very therapeutic for all these guys to come together and do these fun activities because you go there you know not necessarily knowing some of the people that are there and you come away with it being family and you really open up to some of the other guys and tell your story and your struggles and that that's very therapeutic uh, you know, and we like to have a good time while we're doing it. So we started going to the ranch once a year, and now we've evolved where we're going up to Utah uh, once, maybe twice next year. But we did a ski trip uh, up in Park City, Utah this year, and it was a huge success. So we got we got Gold Star families up there and, some guys in wheelchairs, spinal cord injuries, some traumatic brain injury guys, a couple of police officers uh, that had been shot, and uh, uh, an amputee, and, and all their family members, and they were all skiing on the slopes of Park City, Utah. It was phenomenal. Uh, everybody loved it, and we had a blast. So how did y'all do that, Jack, with the skiing, with the guys that were injured, including you? How did you physically make that happen? It wasn't us. We just, I got lucky and met uh, an outfit up there uh, called the National Ability Center. And that's what they do. They, uh, they let people with disabilities, not necessarily in the, in the military, or veterans, but anybody with disabilities, they get them to do in sported activities like mountain biking, water skiing, snow skiing, uh, horseback riding, you name it, archery. They do it all up there. And they, uh, you know, we had met them and visited their facility and they invited us to come up and do a retreat up there. And, uh, I'm so glad that we accepted that offer. And so they they do all the stuff for us. We just show up with all the wounded guys. And it was amazing. They have a whole crew of instructors on the mountain. But that's what they do, you know. And so they have these special chairs that they put us in for the guys that can't, you know, uh, walk or anything. And... It has like these outrigger skis on it, and then there's an instructor behind you, and you're tethered to them, and they kind of they let you go, and uh, you they kind of assist you in turning left and right. But for the most part, you're skiing yourself. Well, uh, I didn't know, but while we were up there, they uh, it was a surprise to me, but they. Uh, busted out a the only sip and puff ski chair in the world and it just <laughs> happens to be up there in Park City wow. and they presented it to me on the last day and I got to ski down the mountain unassisted with my mouth using my breath so just like my chair moves with sipping or puffing the same thing with this thing and it was amazing it was absolutely amazing Man, that's cool. But, yeah, we had a, we had a great time. So this is the National Ability Center, you said. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah they're they're w- wonderful, wonderful. 
Well, and that's some of the best, best skiing in the world right there. So, I mean, Park City, that, that's, yeah. you're going to yeah. a good spot. And you'd be surprised how many disabled people were on that mountain skiing. Not even with our group, you know. They were, I mean, it was crazy. But, so yeah, they, uh, they made it to where it was just a fabulous trip. It was a home run out of the park yeah. for sure. Wow. So we're going to go back, but they want us to come back in the summer also. And, and do other type, like white rock water rafting, mountain biking, and water skiing and stuff. So we might take them up on that offer, and we we might just do three retreats next year. So we're we're growing and expanding, and uh, it's been quite a ride. It, it's really given me a purpose, you know, and uh, a sense of accomplishment to help out these families. Yeah. And, yeah. So it's been great. I love it. So what's next for you, Jack? Because you keep doing this and you're doing you're doing your therapy and you're making progress. I mean, what do you or what's the next adventure you want to do that you haven't done or, or what's your plans? Right now, I, I'm really, really focused on helping other veterans and first responders, you know, and I, I'm trying to help others. I you know, I have a good life right now, and uh, I'm very happy, and I'm, I'm never going to stop training and uh, working out and, you know, trying to get to where I can move one arm or both arms or, or walk maybe one day. That You know, that's what I'm ultimately striving for, but right now I'm really focused on helping other others through our nonprofit brothers keepers and it's it's growing to be quite big so um we're having to deal with uh growing pains right now because it's just a handful of us that you know are making all this happen so but it's been great i mean so my future goals are just to help help others that are in a bad way right now and you know the What's really been on my mind is all the PTSD and guys are really suffering and it's hard for them to admit that they're suffering. You know, you don't want to tell people something's wrong with your head. And, you know, so these retreats can really, like I said, be therapeutic to guys like that. And, uh, you know, if we can help them out just by talking to them and, saying, hey, man, I, I've been struggling just like you, and this is what I do to stay busy, and, uh, you know, hope, I want to tackle that animal, you know, and nobody really knows how to help uh, the guys that are struggling like that, but uh, all we can do is try, so I've really been focused on that. And then my son, Brock, you know, he's he just turned 12, so... Um, He's big into soccer, which is great because I grew up playing soccer. That was like my big sport. So, uh, you know, I get get him every other week and uh, go watch him, play, you know, practice and then uh, go to his games and stuff. And me just being there for him is hopefully teaching him some life lessons that no matter how down and out you are, and even if you're paralyzed, you can still be there, you know, for your kid. Yeah. Um, what do you do, Jack, when you, I'm sure you you have good days and bad days. So what do you, what motivates you or helps you to to get through the tough days? Try to stay positive, you know. And uh, I've always been a scrapper and a fighter. Uh, there, there's always uh, days that, you know, my my butt is hurting because I get, I have like chronic uh, pain in my tailbone area and it, it hurts pretty bad, you know, uh, but I've gotten to where I can mentally kind of block that pain out. And then, you know, obviously I have uh, some, you know, pills and stuff that I can take when it gets really bad. Uh, but I don't really even get uh, down that often. Uh, I did in the in the early days, the first few years, 
you know, uh, you feel sorry for yourself and you're not sure what people are thinking. And, and then, you know, I just said, screw it. I'm attacking life and I'm going to go do challenging things to stay busy. And that keeps me motivated and it, it seems to motivate everybody else around me. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to just sit around. I, I want to uh, enjoy life and have fun along the way. So positive attitude, you know, is the biggest thing for me. And sometimes you just got to get up and do it. You know, so some days you don't want to necessarily do anything. And you just got to make yourself do it. <laughs> and then once, yeah, I once see you've gotten uh, up. Yeah, the jackrabbit. What, what what is that about? I, I saw that. It's been yeah. a few years now, it seemed, or maybe over a year. But man, I want the listeners to watch that. Yeah, it's wonderful. Uh, if you go on our website, which is www.brothers-keepers.org, then you'll you'll find that video on there. And uh, yeah, we we ha- I think we had been invited to this um, short film little festival and they were showing the, about the equine therapy and how horse therapy can help out uh, numerous people and then we met, met one of the producers and then he met me and we got to talking and he wanted to do a story on uh, Brothers Keepers and how all that came about. So they and we were about to do a retreat down at the ranch. So they brought their film crew down there. And so if you watch the, the documentary, it's about 20 minutes long. And it, they interview, you know, me and my dad and some of the guys that started Brothers Keepers. And then they interview some of the families uh, out there and uh, gives you an idea of kind of what goes on at the retreats. And then uh, how all this got started, you know, so they did a wonderful job on the documentary. Yeah. And they actually want to do a, a second part where they're filming me with, they originally wanted me to do get on a horse, you know, talking with all the therapists and people since I'm a high quad and I can't really balance on a horse. It's, it's illegal to, you know, it's, they're not able to strap me onto that horse because if the horse took off, that would be big trouble, right? Yeah. So we were going to attempt that, and they were going to film that, and that, that didn't work out, but they came up with a brilliant idea. And so this is in the works. Uh, they're going to start to train me on uh, basic uh, horsemanship. So even people that cannot physically ride on the horse uh, – this uh, equine therapy place that we found is going to teach me, I already did one, one class uh, about how to control the horse uh, using my voice and my chair and stuff. And so you go through these training sessions and I'm, uh, I did one session and I think we're going to do it full board uh, in October and they want to film that process of me learning how to control these big animals, these horses. And that can be therapeutic, uh, which I found out on day one. I mean, after a half hour of doing this, I, I was uh, commanding horses to come to me or back away or follow me with my chair. It was, it was crazy, but um, it's true, man. The, those horses are so, I don't know, they kind of like, bond with you and they look down into your soul and uh they make you feel at ease so i can see why you know people that have seizures or you know stroke patients or any any kind of disability down syndrome or or just a guy like me that's uh you know has spinal cord injury that or if you got ptsd or something that horse having that relationship with a horse can really help and um, so I, I'm looking forward to doing that. And they're going to do a little mini doc on that. So who knows what would have happened there. But it, it'll be fun. 
Yeah, I look forward to seeing that. That's incredible. I mean, just how you can adapt so many different sports to you know to you know to what you can do, and that that just blows me away. I never would have thought about controlling horses like that. Yeah, me either. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. So, Jack, what kind of advice do you give? I mean, you talked about being positive uh, and, you know, just getting up and doing it. Is there anything else that you advise you give to to people who are struggling, whether it's military yeah. or non-military? Yeah, for me, uh, something real therapeutic uh, <clears throat> is just talking about what happened, your, you know, particular... Uh, injury, uh, how it happened, like what we did today. Um, it's very therapeutic to talk about it and get it out there. And especially with other guys that are, might have similar injuries as you and have a family and, uh, cause it doesn't just affect you. It affects your, your spouse, your kids, your family members around you, your friends, I mean, it's a pretty big circle of people that it affects. And so the whole dynamic uh, of your family, you know, uh, changes. And, you know, the caregiver thing. And So to me, just talking uh, about things can help a lot, uh, especially guys that are going through similar situations because then they will return to you yeah, man, I've I've been struggling with that also, and then, so you you realize, hey, I'm not alone in this, and then you can give each other advice on you know how to get through things. So talking to your peers, you know, uh, can help quite a bit, I think. Do you know if the guy that was in the hospital there right after your injury that that was motivating you? Have you talked to him, and does he know what all you're part of now? Oh yeah, yeah. We we stay in touch. He actually, um, he actually sells me uh, the sticks, the mouth stick that I use to control my iPad and phone. Hmm. Yeah, he he actually. Uh, I guess he has a little business where he sells them, and so I buy them off of him. And, Anytime I go back to Atlanta, I haven't been in a while, but if I go uh, to Atlanta, I'll, I'll see him. Okay. Man, yeah, I can see you're doing what he did. And it sounds like exactly. you're, you're doing it on a, on a pretty big scale now and how you're able to help so many people. Um, and one thing I thought about, Jack, yeah. was, you know, you, how did your injury affect your family? Because um, I think you went through a divorce after your injury. Yeah, it was rough. Um, you know, my wife uh, was working full time, and she went from that, you know, and being the wife of an operator um, to full time caregiver. And you know, nobody really tells you exactly, you know, how you're going to get through all that. So. Uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't realize it, but I was burning her out because with my particular injury, it's 24 seven. I've got to have somebody with me at all times. And, you know, I, you got to feed me constantly. You got, you know, if I just want to reposition my butt, you know, I have to have somebody do it. So it's a constant job and it's hard. It's very, I've learned over the years, uh, being a caregiver is really, really hard thing, and I don't think that they get enough credit, uh, you know, the care, all the caregivers out there. And so my wife was doing everything on her own for a couple of years there, and it, it just really stressed out our relationship. To me, uh, she wasn't my wife anymore. She was my caregiver. And then, you know, and I was, I went through my struggles in the beginning where I, you know, didn't want to come with grips that I was paralyzed. So I was going nuts trying to 
do everything I can. To, I want to go here and go there and, and, you know, do all these crazy things to prove to everybody that, <laughs> you know, I can still function and it wore, it wore out and it wore our relationship out. Um, and we're still really good friends and, you know, she lives real close to me and, uh, we're great friends and we still hang out and she still helps me. And, um, I've learned through the years to use multiple, multiple caregivers to help me out, uh, because I've gone through quite a few, you know, since my injury seven and a half years ago. And so I've learned the more, the merrier, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta give them a break, you know? Uh, and I just, we didn't know that. And it took the experience of going through it to figure that out. And unfortunately, you know, it didn't work out for us, but we're still very tight and, um, you know, very active with my son and so things are okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, you 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 need help. That that's the advice uh, <laughs> that I would give guys that are in chair that are paralyzed. <laughs> you got to uh, hire extra caregivers. You know, whatever it takes. What role has the Air Force played in your recovery? Yeah, that, yeah. Speaking of that, that it's a lot of money. You know. Uh, to get care like that and the VA, you know, and the air force and stuff have, uh, really helped me out. It, it was kind of rough, uh, in the beginning, but oh, I'd say over the last five years that the VA has gotten considerably a lot better, uh, or quite a, quite a bit better as far as the Dallas VA goes. And that, you know, they support me with giving me a check every month. And then there's other caregiver programs within the VA that, that uh, actually me and my ex-wife found and we utilize that. So they'll actually give you extra money, uh, like a stipend program. It's for your living caregiver. Okay. Yeah. And for bowel and bladder and stuff like that. So uh, I've gotten pretty much everything that I need to live uh, through them. Uh, You know, which it would be pretty rough if I I didn't have that steady income coming in from them. Now, they're they're not going to go out of their way to, you know, try to make me walk. They're kind of just, they want to keep you, I don't know, you know, comfortable. Yeah. Comfortable. Uh, but they just, they're overwhelmed with how many patients that they have and people that they got to, uh, help out. Uh, so that, that's why you got to go look elsewhere as far as like therapy and stuff. And I'm, found a phenomenal uh, neurological recovery center is what it's called down in Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, I go there three days a week and they kick my butt. But they've got crazy equipment there. And uh, I don't know, one of the things is called a locomat. And it's, you might have seen a video here and there of uh, me you actually get in this robotic thing and then it helps you walk on a treadmill. Yeah, I saw it. So I, <laughs> yeah. So I walk three days a week, you know, and then they got other uh, things that I do. But yeah, so that's fun. I love going to therapy. Uh, I, I give it 120%, you know, and mm-hmm. it's like, uh, feel like I'm working out again, you know, <laughs> not in the same, same capacity, but I am working out. Well, Jack, and maybe in closing, what advice do you give or would you give to young guys who are going into into spec ops? You know, obviously, you you have to be in shape. The better shape you're in physically, uh, you know, the easier to be on you mentally. But I'd say it's a uh, 
80-20 split, uh, 80% actual is mental. Uh, you know, that there's a lot of people that could physically do it, uh, but that those couple of years, you know, uh, it's an ass kicker. And, but when your body wants to quit, you have to override that with your mental, um, you know, thinking and fortitude on and staying strong. So, uh, a lot of times it's just, it's gotta be the right type of dude, you know, with the right personality, uh, to make it through these things. But so being mentally tough and having the attitude of never quit is huge. You know, that's what I tell guys that are thinking about doing it. Um, you know, you gotta, you gotta take it on head on and say, you cannot make me quit. I'll never quit. Bring it on. You know, and, uh, that's the attitude you have to have. As soon as you start doubting yourself, man, you're going to get, you're going to go downhill from there. But, you know, obviously you got to be, be able to swim good and have uh, cardio for days. Uh, but the mental side of things is where you need to be strong. So yeah. it's hard to really teach that you either have it or you don't, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jack, in closing, I guess maybe we should wrap it up. But, I mean, what, is there anything else that you'd like to say? To all the guys out there, you know, that are struggling uh, in whichever way it might be, um, and your family, uh, stay motivated, stay as positive as you can, and uh, get up every day with a good attitude and attack that day, take it one day at a time. And, you know, if you need help, uh, ask for help. Don't, don't sit there and, uh, you know, go on and on and on, uh, and keeping it in, you need to ask. And there are tons of organizations that have helped me out and, you know, I was so motivated by that that I started my own uh, nonprofit. You know, and there, there's a lot of organizations out there that you can reach out to, whatever your struggle might be, and uh, talk to your brothers and and uh, other people that are going through similar situations. And, you know, don't just don't be scared to ask for that help that you need. You know. Yeah. Man, I, I really appreciate your time, Jack. This has been just super motivating, and um, I, I think a lot of people will get, you know, just find a lot of benefit out of hearing from you, whether they're, you know, in your shoes or have been in a situation like yours or, you know, military or just, you know, the other listeners, the plenty of civilians that we have listening mm-hmm. to the podcast, too. So thank you very much. Well, well I appreciate it, sir. Appreciate you listening to my interview with Jack Fanning. I thought it was pretty awesome, and I just have a few things to ask of you. I try to spread out my request, so I don't ask them on every episode, but two things. One would be uh, go to iTunes and please rate the podcast, and number two, preferably just go over to the far right you know, and hit the five stars and then write a review. And secondly would be uh, check out Patreon. We are now on Patreon uh, that would be uh, patreon.com forward slash patriot to the core. So patreon.com forward slash patriot to the core. It's a forum where podcasters like me can get support from listeners like you. Uh, if you like the content that I provide, then you have the opportunity to support my work financially on a monthly basis. But you can read all about it. I've got a short video there. And it, it's it's very minimal amounts. If you're interested, you can do $2 a month, $5 a month, $10 a month. That's the, that's the way I've got it broken out right now. And you can see what I'm looking to do. I mean, I do want to improve the podcast. I'd like to upgrade my equipment. I'd like to improve my logo because I think it's pretty pathetic. And there's a few more things as well. I'd like to you know upgrade my website. 
But, you know, those things take some additional funds, and I just am asking for that from listeners like you. So trust me, you need this. Just go sign up. Uh, it's pretty simple, and you'll get some things in return. I mean, I'll, I'll provide some, you know, insider access, some early uh, you'll get early access to my podcast interviews and some other things as well. You know, a signed copy of my book and different specifics. I won't I won't list them all now, but if you just go to patreon.com forward slash patriot to the core, you could read all about it and become a patron and support what we're doing here. So thank you for considering. <laughs>